Good morning again. There you are. And I can see you too. That's awesome. This is the first Sunday I've seen the congregation. The lights have been coming pretty brightly. So cheers to the technicians who've been working so hard. Uh, it's wonderful to have, have eye contact. Uh, and as I said, welcome this morning. Uh, it's, it's an important topic that we're thinking about. And uh, thanks so much, uh, Charlene, for kind of introducing it that way and reminding us of the fears that we have in our lives. Uh, we have a dear friend, uh, Bob Teske, known to many of you. Uh, he was certainly instrumental in, in starting TCC. He's very sick today. He's in critical condition. He had surgery on his knee, and uh, things are going along pretty well, and then all of a sudden he took a turn for the worse, and uh, he's in critical condition. So I'm just going to invite you, because you look so comfortable, I'm going to invite you to stand and we're going to just pray and ask the Lord's blessing and guidance upon this service and the sermon this morning and upon Bob. Lord, we just really just do thank you for, for Bob. We don't know uh, the amount of time that you've given him yet, but he, he really believes in your sovereignty. And Lord, he knows that your timing is perfect and uh, we love him. And we're grateful for the way that he's blessed Southwest in, in many ways, and certainly blessed uh, Terwilliger Community Church. We pray for him today, pray for his wife, and Lord, uh, what, a, what an awesome servant he is, and we pray that, Lord, uh, whenever your time is to bring him home, that that will be the perfect timing. So, Lord, we, we don't pray selfishly that we keep him, uh, if you've got a plan, Lord, to take him home, but Lord, we would love it if he could stay longer, but you know best. And Lord, we thank you for the word this morning. We ask that you would open our hearts to receive it and uh, that it might be a blessing, Lord, to our, to our lives today. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Well, if you're watching online this morning, grab a coffee. <laughs> ask God to speak to us in these moments. Uh, we're going to celebrate communion a little bit later. Uh, so um, if you have some bread and juice available, uh, that would be great. God's good to us. Uh, what I love about the Southwest is the hunger you have for the Word of God. I'm excited to uh, start uh, the Gospel of uh, Mark uh, next week and uh, to see what God has for us in this amazing uh, Gospel. But uh, this morning we have the privilege of highlighting some verses uh, that we pray will encourage our hearts and uh, will give us courage for what lies ahead. We all face fears of many kinds. And uh, as Charlene put it, how many here are going through a period of time where you're facing a lot of fear these days? And what is your fear? Do you worry about what people think about you? <laughs> That's a fear. Do you ever worry if people will like you? True story, I was sitting in the pastor's chair you know, in years gone by, there used to be a, the, the pastors would always sit on the platform and uh, for the singing and the choir would usually be behind and, and that's how it kind of started out for us years ago. I'm glad it's not that way anymore, but uh, it was either my first or second Sunday in ministry. I was 26 years old. We just moved to Ontario and Mark and I were as green as grass and didn't have a clue. And I remember sitting on that chair facing the congregation looking at them 
And this terrible thought went through my mind. What if this congregation doesn't like me? What if it becomes me against them and them against me? And that fear just whoosh right through my heart. And you know where that came from. And then you know what the thought was that God gave me immediately as I was sitting there. He gave me the thought that love covers a multitude of sins. And I wasn't even sure where to find that verse. And in fact, I, just last week, I said, where is that verse? I was recalling this experience. And it's in First Peter chapter 4 somewhere. But I thought, this is wonderful. If they see all my rookie mistakes and I stumble and fall, I will just love them and I trust God to take care of the relationships. And love will cover a multitude of sins. And after that word from God, he gave me a peace and I went out and tried to just be me, myself. Don't, do you ever worry if people will like you? And the answer is, if you're normal, yes. Who wouldn't want people to like them? Do you ever worry about disappointing people? We live in such a world of different opinions and different convictions. You really can't live in this world without deciding where you will land on some issues. And your opinion will please some and disappoint others. You know all about that. Do you worry if you're up to a dream that you might have in your heart? You have that dream, but it's a big dream. And if you say it or if you act upon it, it could go south and it could leave you with egg on your face. So maybe I won't do it because I'm afraid. We recently watched a, a little movie that's out. Uh, and it's about this 16-year-old girl who uh, wants to sail around the world. She's an Australian and she she wants to be the youngest person to ever sail around the world. And she has this little little sailboat. And it, it tells of the struggles that she has to actually do that. But she succeeded. She had a dream in her heart. And it came true. Now, Luke chapter 19 was read to us this morning. It's an intriguing story set in the workplace of high finance. And a rich and soon-to-be powerful nobleman goes on an extended trip. Why? He's going on a trip with the purpose of being crowned king. And most of the people hate him. And they send a delegation ahead to say, this guy is a no-no. We don't want him as our king. And the nobleman in the story represents Jesus, and his death on the cross is the journey. And the parable illustrates that the kingdom of God will not be set up in Jerusalem right away, but a journey was required during which he would receive authority to rule the kingdom. And so in his absence, he assigns three of his servants to invest his money. Two of them take the risk of investing their master's money, and they earn, as we heard, handsome rewards. And a third servant is afraid to take the risks, so he puts the money in a safe place, and it earns no return. When the master returns, he has become king of the whole territory. He rewards the two servants who made money for him, promoting them to high positions of their own. And then he punishes the servant who kept the money safe but unproductive. Now, the parable also pokes at us to ask who we think Jesus is. 
Is he God's appointed king? Is he God's appointed king? And if you say yes, you have some thinking to do because he has blessed you with resources and creativity and talents and gifts and he has given to them and you have them. Now the directions are easy to read on the box. We know what to do. We've been given the instructions. We are to invest his money, uh, his resources, his gifts, his talents, his calling on us while we have life and breath on the planet. It cannot wait. It is urgent. And the master is watching to see what we will do with what we've been given. And the parable suggests that if we choose to accept Jesus as king, we must expect to have some courage and, in fact, even lead risky lives. The prevailing mood around us is similar to the mood in which uh, is in the parable. Ours is a culture or ours is an environment in which there is resistance to the authority of the nobleman or in our understanding today, Jesus. So to be given a significant amount of money to invest in our generation would be equal to many thousands of dollars. You know, it's a huge responsibility to handle someone else's money. It's a huge responsibility. To understand the pressure, suppose I invited all of you to come down here uh, after the service, before you leave, and I have an envelope. I did have an envelope somewhere. And in the, how could I lose a million dollars? I had a million dollars in that envelope. Did somebody take that? Just check that or I don't know where that is. Oh, oh, it is here. It's here. Yeah, someone. <laughs> here it is. It's a million dollars. And uh, so I, I invite you to come down and pick up a check for a million. Uh, and uh, now this is just an illustration. Let's, I, I don't want you to hit me up for a million. This, I'm just kidding, okay? And I, I say to you that uh, this is for you. Not for you, but for the kingdom. And I want you to take this money, million dollars, and I want you to invest it, and I'd like to meet with you in a year. And you know, I want you to tell me what you did with it. You've got a year. So you come down and you take the envelope and you look at me and you say, are you serious? And I say, well, yeah, it's, it's kingdom work. And you have a million dollars here. And you have an amazing opportunity in front of you. But by now you're, you're feeling like this is crazy. What if I lose it like I did? What if someone takes it from me? And, and, uh, and you say, I don't even know if I want to accept it. And because that makes me really nervous because now I'm responsible for this. Does it make you feel anxious? And I totally get that. I would feel very nervous about taking a million dollars and being responsible for it. Now, if it was totally my money and I waste it, then I'm the loser. And I should have, I should have done better. But if you're giving me kingdom resources, now I feel really responsible. And I waste those resources. Well, it makes me very anxious, makes me very nervous. And when you come back uh, on the anniversary date of receiving this gift, what will you bring? 
Will you be dreading that meeting with the nobleman, now king? It would be tempted to, to duck for cover, to say, oh, tell, tell him I'm out, I'm out of town. Tell him I can't meet with him. I'll be back next year. Give me another year. Sorry, I'm too busy. Sorry, can't connect. Would you like to just not be around? But ducking for cover is the one action Jesus condemns in the parable. The servant who tries to avoid risk is singled out as unfaithful. Now, what's the underlying issue here? What are you feeling? Fear. But the third servant brought back only the original amount of money and said, Master, I hid your money. I kept it safe. I was afraid because you are a hard man to deal with, taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops you didn't plant. You wicked servant, the king roared, your own words condemn you. If you knew that I'm a hard man who takes what isn't mine and harvests crops I didn't plant, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I would have gotten some interest on it. Underline the part of the verse that says, I was afraid. I was afraid. Fear of failure will paralyze you and keep you from attaining your potential. It will keep you from taking what God has given to you and using those gifts of God because you are afraid. It can keep you from developing a relationship with someone in your life because I'm afraid it might not work out. It will keep you from accepting a promotion because you are afraid that you might not be able to handle the new expectations. It can keep you from dreaming new dreams, because what if I fail? Let me ask you a question. If you could try anything, anything that's in your heart to try, and guarantee the results, what would it be? If failure wasn't even a thought in your head, what would you attempt to do? Uh, I may have told you the story before of a student who was an excellent student, but it, when it came to exam, she was very, very nervous. And she always had such a deep fear that uh, under the rush of time, she wouldn't be able to answer the questions properly. And the teacher told her, listen, Gail, here's the deal. I want you to understand that I know you're a good student. I have complete trust that you're a wonderful student. And I want you to know that you already have an A in the class. I'm going to give you an A. I'll guarantee you an A at the end of the year. So just go ahead and write the exam. Well, with the assurance and the pressure off, she took the exam and of course, she aced it. She just had this fear that she was going to fail. If failure wasn't a possibility, what would you attempt to do? Would you choose a new career? Would you start your own business and say, I've always wanted to do this? Would you get married? Would you have children? Would you go back to school? Would you buy a house? Would you take ballroom dancing? That's what my wife said. You know, we should have taken ballroom dancing 20 years ago. I said, really? I had never had a dream in my heart to do that. But... I'm young yet, so who knows? Would you become a missionary? Would you get serious about your relationship with God? 
If you could be guaranteed that it would totally work out, what would you do? What new road would you take? What's holding you back? Fear. More than anything else, it's the fear of failure that prevents people from taking hold of all that they're capable of. Now, the point of the parable is that we never please God when we play it safe. So safe that we don't use what we've been given. God has given you some gifts. He's given you some talents. He's given you some resources. Every one of us uh, has them. None can say, well, he didn't give me anything. We all have them. Maybe some have tenfold or some fivefold. I don't know. Maybe onefold. But regardless of distribution, we've all been given the resources. So what have you received? And how do I make these gifts work for the kingdom? How can I shrug off this fear of failure in my life? Let me give you some biblical help here. Number one, fear of failure is common to us all. You are not the only person who battles with fear of failure. Everybody fails in some ways. There isn't anyone in life who bats a thousand. I've never met the person. We all fail. And doesn't that comfort us just a little bit, that we all fail? If you saw the news clip the other day, there is a four-year-old boy in England that scores very high on the IQ index. He is about 139 out of 164. At age four, he is learning five languages. You say, oh, come on. Yes. He could count to 100 when he was two years old. He is now learning the Chinese language. He is amazing. But guess what? This little boy, as bright as he is, even he will fail in some areas. James 3.2 says, indeed, we all make many mistakes. Uh, it's comforting to know that we're all going through this together. No one has it all together. We are human. We are flawed. We stumble and fall. And welcome to the human race. Connor McDavid doesn't score a hat trick every hockey game. Why, in fact, he has been known not to get a goal in some hockey games. He is such a failure. <laughs> no, he's amazing. But some of the players feel pretty good if they get the puck in five times a year, ten times a year. We all fail. So if it helps, look outside of your scope of fear and look at the rest of us. We all have a track record of failure. If you've ever had a put-down in your life when you were young for something you attempted to do, you'll never forget it. And you keep this fear all your life. That's why it's so important for parents to affirm your kids as they grow up, because they will collect enough fears along the way. Let them know from your end that you are there to mentor them, to guide them, that you believe in them, that you, you come alongside of them with kindness and grace, and you really believe in who they are. So failure is common to all of us. Secondly, failure need not define us. We don't have to be defined by our failure. Actually, failure can be a positive thing if we learn from the failure. You can learn all kinds of things. Often when we traveled as a family in the summer and vacation, we would drop in at churches if we didn't know that particular church. We'd just drop in anyway. And we always did this kind of analysis. 
of like what we could learn from that church. And, and, and we would say, well, there's something there that we could latch onto. That's a great idea. Or we would uh, have kind of a, a wince and say, well, that's something we should never do. We learn from everything and from everyone. It's not the issue of failure that's a big deal. It's more the fear of failure that is debilitating. And when the fear possesses you and you say, I'm not going to ever try that again, that's where the paralysis sets in. Failure is kind of a one-time thing. But fear of failure just goes on and on and on. And it haunts you for months and for even years or maybe your entire life. So the fear of failure is much more debilitating than the failure is itself. Do you ever notice that verse in Proverbs? Proverbs 24, verse 16. The godly may trip uh, seven times, but they will get up again. The godly may trip seven times, but they'll get up again. Perhaps if you're ready to quit, you feel like I'm just losing, you could look at that verse and say, Lord, would you give me what I need? Would you give me perseverance? Would you give me resilience to get back up and to go again? There are people in history who moved forward regardless of the odds against them. Napoleon graduated 42nd in his class, a class of 43 people. Not the brightest bulb, but he went on to conquer Europe. Einstein didn't learn to speak until he was four years old. He struggled, nearly dropped out of college, but he went on to reinvent math and science. Whatever we're facing, the insight from the parable is not to quit, not to say, I don't know what to do with what the master gave me. I'll just bury it. I'm too afraid to do something with it. Paul said, let's not get tired uh, of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Failure is probably one of the best ways that we learn. Have you ever assembled one of those IKEA projects? After three disassembles and four reassembles, it's a piece of cake. Colonel Sanders was a total failure at most everything he did until he was 84 years of age. And then he figured out how to cook chicken under pressure. That was finger licking good. And now KFC is known all around the world. There are thousands of KFCs across North America, Europe, Asia. China has 8,000 KFCs in their country. Saunders didn't really make it until he was in his 80s. So there's still hope for us. Sometimes when we interview people, you know, for a position, we discover that they have some major pain or failure in their lives. And that sends us a red flag. It's like, oh, we look at the resume and we say, look at that. And if, if they have learned from that, they will be a real asset to you in your work. If you've never had any pain in your life, you're tempted to say to the person who does, oh, get over it. Come on, it's time to get going. But if you've been there, then you understand and you can be a bridge of blessing for them to continue to grow and to blossom. So it's all about humility. There's a verse in Romans 8 that keeps us humble and grateful. And it says we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose for them.
Do you think that even includes our failures? Absolutely. God can take our failures when we're walking with him as children of God. He can take our failures. He can take our fears. He can bring good and he can bring hope and he can bring healing. He can bring grace out of all of those things. When you succeed, are you humble? When others around you fail and you make it, are you humble? Can you learn from your failure? Or will you run away and say, I'm not going to play anymore? Number three, can reduce fear by refusing to compare. Brooke Henderson from Smith Falls, Ontario, who used to live very close to Smith Falls, she is now the best female golfer in the world. She just won another title. She's 25 years of age. And oh, how I would like to be a great golfer like Brooke Henderson. Why do I want to compare myself with Brooke Henderson? Because if I do, that's going nowhere at all. I can't compare. She has paid a huge price to be number one. She practices and practices and practices, and I do not. And we have tons of kids, you know, in sports these days that feel like a failure because they're not as good as someone else on the team. Listen, all of us can look at someone and say, I wish I, I was like them. I, I wish I had their brain. I wish I had their, their build. I wish I had their money. I wish I had their job. Or I wish, I wish, I wish. Do you know what the Bible says? That we are unique and we should never compare ourselves to anyone else. Because you are one of a kind. You are unique. I don't know where we were the other day. I think it was probably in an airport. And Mark and I were just sitting there. You know, you've got time on your hands. We're just sitting there, just watching people. And, and we were saying, look at all these people. And every one of them looks different. Not one person is alike. And we were just marveling at God's uniqueness. Isn't that neat that in all of creation, in the billions of people that God has created through the centuries, that no one is exactly like the other? It's incredible. You are unique. God made you the way he made you because he wanted you to be uniquely his. He doesn't want us to look around and pine and say, why didn't you make me look like him? Why didn't you make me look like her? Because he wants you to be unique. And he gave you a unique combination of passion and gifts and abilities and personality that is who you are. Here's what Paul said. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. So reduce fear by refusing to compare. Here's the fourth, fourth one and the last one. Move past yourself and focus on loving others. Some of our fear is because we are inwardly focused. The fear is, what will happen to me? But what if you turned that around and said, because I love others, I'll take a risk. I'll step out. I won't hide my talents. Uh, I will use them. What if I, I really understood that God wants me to take a risk and to invest in what he's given to me into his larger ministry picture. 
How about 1 John 4.18? Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fears. We talked about the promise of presence a couple weeks ago. And when God is present, he brings his love. And he brings his assurance that he's with us. And, and when that love and that his presence enters our hearts, the, the fear is, is taken away. And he asks the question, what is the opposite of fear? And sometimes we say, well, it must be faith. But actually, it's love. Because when love comes in, fear goes out. We had a dear friend years ago that tried to enter into a burning house to rescue his brother. It was Easter Sunday midnight, just before Easter Sunday morning. And the firefighters had to tackle him, really had to tackle him, hold him back. The house was, was too far gone. It was too late. But his brother was inside, and he was doing everything he could, everything to enter the house. What was that? It was love. His love for his brother was so strong that he didn't have any fear. So when you come to those fearful moments, when, you, when that fear rises up inside of you and you say, I'm afraid to use the resources that God has given to me, then be reminded that he's on your team and he loves you and he's always pulling for you and you're not alone and he's never going to hang you out to dry. Invite him to come and to occupy all of who you are and ask him to fill you with his love. God wants you. God wants us to succeed. He's pleased when you come and you, when you come in your anxiety and you say, Lord, I lay this before you and I trust you with it. I'm stepping out. God, I love you. I trust you. Fill me with your love. And I love the people that you have in my life. And I love that I get to be with them. And when you're loving others, guess what? You forget about yourself and you forget about your fears. And it may be that God gives you a friend or two that walks beside you as you process the failure in your life. And what a beautiful thing to have a friend who listens and encourages and prays so that you attain the God-given potential that's in your life. They help us to wrestle to the ground those fears and they support us as we say uh, to the Lord, it all belongs to you. What do you want to see happen in your life this year? What would you attempt for God to stretch out and to risk if you really knew you wouldn't fail? Can I give you a verse worth memorizing as we close? And it's this, 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. So receive his power. Receive his love. Receive what he has for you. And remember, failure is common to all of us. Failure does not need to define us. Reduce fear by refusing to compare. And move past yourself and focus your love on others and God's love for you. And I thought, what if Jesus said, I'm too afraid to come to this world. I don't know if I'll be able to succeed. I'm fearful of what will, will happen. I'm afraid that my mission will fail. It's a bad world. 
Where would that leave us? We would be hopeless and lost in our sins, but long ago, God knew the road to our forgiveness and restoration could only be found in his son, Jesus Christ. And so he came, and he looked past his own needs, his own comfort, and he stepped out, and he became one of us. Perhaps the cross looked like a failure to many people, but the journey of victory came through the cross. So this morning when you take a piece of bread and you take a cup of juice, you're transported in time back to the time when Jesus gave his life on the cross. And when he gathered with his men in the upper room, he was rehearsing uh, that which was about to happen. The Apostle Paul says, let me go over with you again exactly what goes on in the Lord's Supper and why it is so centrally important. I received my instructions from my master himself and passed them on to you. The master Jesus on the night of his betrayal took bread. Having given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this to remember me. After supper, he took the same thing. Uh, He did the same thing with the cup. This cup is my blood, my new covenant with you. Each time you drink this cup, remember me. What you must solemnly realize is that every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact in your words and actions the death of the master. You will be drawn back to this meal again and again until the master returns. You must never let familiarity breed contempt. Well, friends, if you're a follower of this Jesus and you desire to walk in his pathway, then I invite you to take the little communion kit that you've received and there's a wafer on top and then the juice is just below. And thank you that uh, to the Lord that the love won out and we've received his his work on the cross as uh, the redemption of our lives. So I'm going to invite Nana to come and to pray for us. Uh, this morning and give thanks for the body of Christ. Thank you. Shall we pray? Father, how how can we thank you? Thanking you for what you did for us on that cross. Father, you were crushed. You were bruised. You were pierced for our sake give you praise. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Jesus. But Father, in all this, you crushed our fears, our anxieties, and our panic. And this morning, Father, as we come together, we come at your feet, Lord. Mm-hmm. We are reminded of this, oh, Heavenly Father. We pray that, Lord, even as we take in the cup, and as we eat of this, your bread, your body, mm-hmm. remind us of this daily. Remind us of of your love, of that power, of that sound mind or self-control that you have given to us. We give you praise. This morning, Father, feel all of us. Feel all of us today, Lord, with that great trust in you, Heavenly Father, and you alone. We give you praise. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.
we take the bread and we remember the physical punishment of torture and beatings and crucifixion. We remember the battering of the mind and the battering of the heart and the anguish of suffering. And we say, thank you, Jesus, because you did it for us. So we eat this in remembrance of you, our Lord. We take the cup and we remember the blood that poured out from his hands and his feet and his side. And we remember that this is the way to our sins being forgiven, the death of our leader, our savior, because in the shedding of blood, there is remission of sins or forgiveness of sins. And we drink this in remembrance of you, our Lord. And Father, as your family today, we give you thanks for your son, Jesus Christ, in whom there is life and abundance of living day in and day out. So we thank you, Lord, for the price that was paid for us. And we give you praise today in Jesus' name. Amen.